First Peter chapter 4. We're just going to read the first two verses, so you can read along with me. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. That word ceased from sin literally means to be released from. It's like you're, you're set free from it, you're released from it. Okay? And it says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh or in this natural body to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Amen? And so, this is what we're going to talk about tonight. And sort of a theme, or at least part of the theme of the, these, this message tonight and of these two Scriptures would be that God can use our sufferings to produce obedience to His Word. Okay? It's a simple thought. It's a very true thought, a very uh, biblical thought. God can use our sufferings to produce obedience to His will and to His Word. I just want to leave... Uh, you don't have to turn to each of these. I'll tell you where I'm reading from. I'm going to read from Psalm 66.10. If you're taking notes, Psalm 119.67 and verse 71 of that same psalm. And James 1.2-4. So you can just listen to these. For Thou, O God, hast proved us, that means tried us, Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. This is not a new thought. This is not something a pastor in 2018 thought up. Okay, This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. We see it with the people of God. Those that are already saved, that already know God, walk with God, they are fully surrendered to the Lord and given their lives to Christ. And yet God still tests us and proves us. It's for our benefit. It's for our strengthening. He says, as silver is tried. Well, how is silver tried? Or precious metals. They're tried in the fire of affliction. They're tried in the furnace of affliction. It's not to kill the gold. The gold is not hurt at all by the fire. The dross and the impurities, that's what's burned off. And it comes to the top and it's skimmed off. And it's refined as long as the refiner knows it needs to be refined. Okay? It's as hot as the refiner says it needs to be. To get that accomplished, it won't be any hotter than that, and it won't be any longer than that. And it's the same for the Lord in His trial of us. He wants to tr- trust Him and hold His hand and hold to His hand as we go through the trials. You're going to have them, okay? You're probably going through some now, or you just came through one, or you're about to go through one. But we are, and God has tried, proved us, and tried us as silver is tried. Psalm 119:67. Before I was afflicted, David said, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. What was he saying? Before I was afflicted, before the trial came to my life from you, Lord, I went astray. I was astray. That mean he didn't love God, but he wandered off maybe from the Lord, from his commandments, from a pure heart fully devoted to the Lord. Doesn't mean he totally backslid and you know went worshiped idols, but he went astray. Okay? You picture a shepherd with that, you know, that staff kind of reeling them back in. How does, he do, how does he do it? Well, one of the main ways we see in the Scriptures and we know in our own lives is the afflictions of God. Not Satan just trying to come and, and steal, kill, and destroy and take us you know, away from Christ, but the Lord Himself with a very measured trial in our life and He's with us and He's wanting us to turn to Him through it. Okay? Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And then He says a few verses later, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. So he says it's a good thing. How many people say that it, me personally being afflicted is a good thing? You know what I'm saying? Whether it's cancer or whether it's a, uh, whatever it is, some, something you have to bear at work or some relationship or something uh, that you're having to go through. He says it's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. It's, turned me to trust, it's, it's helped me to turn to you and to trust in your word, to learn them, to rely upon them, to hang on them, the statutes and the word of God. And the Bible says, and I'll just paraphrase in this, that a fool refuses instruction and despises it. We don't want to be that. Instruction of the Lord. The correction and rebuke of the Lord. A fool hates it. He wants nothing to do with it. He'll keep butting his head up against the brick wall and God's trying to teach him something and they'll never get it. They're a fool. Okay? We don't want to be fools. Amen? My brethren, count it all joy. This is James 1. When, when you fall into different or diverse temptations, that doesn't necessarily mean temptation is sin. It means a trial. Okay, 
knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. Absolutely, there's a period there. He's telling you it does this. The trying of your faith works patience. Is that a good thing? Yes, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a godly trait. It's something that God's trying to work in my life, in your life. Patience. Joseph in the Old Testament. You know what I mean? Job. We, we think about these different people. That for Abraham and Sarah waiting on the promised child. We see it all through the Bible. Uh, the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect. That means complete there. Okay, that's all that means. Completed. Uh, mature. Completed. And entire. Lacking nothing. And so this is sort of a theme of our, our message tonight. And it's interesting how often Peter brings us back to Christ's sufferings. It's often. I mean, it almost gets... Maybe I shouldn't say it again tonight in the sermon kind of thing because it's there so much. But it's God's Word. He wants us to know it. And so he's not just saying, I know you're suffering. He says, I know you're suffering, believers. I know that you're going through trials of your faith. You're suffering for righteousness' sake. You're suffering for Jesus' sake. And he always puts it back in light of Christ's suffering. Christ also, for as much... We're back in First Peter... For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, in His earthly body, He suffered. He suffered different than we suffered. In some ways it's similar, but He definitely was unique in the sense that He didn't die or suffer because of His own sins. He suffered for sin and for sinners. Okay, And He says, so, so that's being brought back to our remembrance. And He goes on to say, uh, as, you know, Arm yourselves. It's like a battle term. He gives the he gives the impression here, uh, or the likeness here, that this is a battle. That this is not just uh, a vacation. Okay, arm yourselves. If I said, okay, Peter, you're going out there, arm yourself. You know that you're getting ready to go up against something. You're going to have to be prepared, and and to defend and to attack and to fight. And so we're told here. Like a soldier, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. The same mind means not just the mental, we talk about it all the time, not just the mental capacity. Similar in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind means the intent, the will, okay, the desires. What was Christ's desires? Christ desired to suffer rather than sin. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 12, that we haven't yet, we haven't yet resisted you know, uh, uh, the temptation to sin, to the shedding of blood like Christ did. And we're to consider that. We're to consider that. And so he chose to suffer rather than give in and sin. Sin for him would have been anything out of the will of the Father. Anything. Not just the gross immoral things that we think of, but anything that was not the exact direct will of the Father. Don't ever forget, he said, I only do the things I see my Father doing and only say the things I hear my Father saying. And so we're to arm ourselves with the same mind. The same mind, the same will, the same intent, the same desires as Christ. Now, we don't know how long we will be on this earth, do we? As believers. We're here. We're Christians. We're going from day to day. We set our alarm clock tomorrow morning. You know, we get up and say it wasn't that much different than yesterday. And all of them kind of run together. And I understand that's just like a big river that we're just going through. But it's going to end. It's going to end maybe suddenly for us individually, if certainly suddenly when the rapture takes place. But as long as we are here, we have, uh, and that's what he says in verse 2, we're going to go back and cover these, but look at verse 2, that he, this is the believer, should no longer live the rest of his time, that's our time on earth, in, in the flesh. Now he's not talking about flesh in the sense of sin, he's just talking about our natural body. But we shouldn't live the rest of our time in our natural bodies as Christians to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Very simple truth, isn't it? But it's, but it's something we need to get a hold of. And the Lord Jesus didn't come to be served. He came at his first coming, he came to serve and to minister and to give his life a ransom for all. And so we're to arm ourselves and we're to gaze upon the Lord and keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Everything that we're going through would be in light of Peter keeps reminding us this, Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, keeps reminding the Christians to consider Christ and his suffering. For Christ also had suffered for us in the flesh. And so we look about uh, to Him by faith and we remember that. And, and we understand that He died 
uh, in a sense, unjustly. Of course, it was his will to do that, but he died. It wasn't justice that was served. It was mercy that was served by the Lord doing what he did. And so we come to a place in our lives, every Christian, I'm talking about the moment you say, I do to the Lord. And, and we've got three weddings coming up in our church. I'm very excited. I know everybody's excited about it. But marriage is such a wonderful picture of Christ in the church. The Bible says that. We're not stretching to, to find that comparison. And so I know when I've taught at the Parkview Bible study in different places, and I'll talk to the kids about a real commitment to Christ. Because so often they know, oh, I got saved at eighth grade PBS retreat, you know, Parkview retreat, and there's no evidence of fruit in their life. So I've talked to them about real commitment in marriage, not the ones we see all around us, but in a real marriage, the way God intended it. It's to death do us part. We're willingly, we're not forced into it, I'm not talking about a shotgun wedding. We're choosing this person that for the rest of my life, I'm devoted to you and you only. The other is saying I'm choosing the same thing, right? And so that is a picture of Christ and the church. And we come to a place where our life is not our own anymore. Where it's not just, let me go through life now that I've given my life to Jesus. Go through my life now and just pretty much satisfy myself. Maybe I'll cut out a lot of gross sinful things because I know they're not Christian, they're wrong. But otherwise, I still want to just go through life pretty much how I want to go through life. But that's not the picture at all that's given in the Bible. He takes our life and He makes of it something beautiful, way better than what you would do with your life if left on your own. Way better than what I would do if I was left on my own. I'll share a little personal thing. When You know, in high school, we where you fill out these, uh, you know, where do you see yourself in five years, ten years, and they're giving little aptitude tests and all this stuff. And I wasn't really walking with the Lord at the time. And, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Who knows when they're in tenth grade? You know what I'm saying? What they're going to do with their life. Some people do. But I don't, I don't think most people really zero in on a target at tenth or eleventh grade. And I said, well, I want to be an attorney. And... Uh, I want to be a lawyer, and I want it to be a Supreme Court justice. I'll say, I'm going to go all the way. I want to do that. And I put that and filled out the form. I'm so glad that God had His plan for my life. He's got somebody else to do that, okay? And uh, it wasn't at all what He had for my life. And I'm glad I'm serving the Lord. And, but, but there comes a point when we give our life to Jesus. Right there, there's a divergent path. I'm not talking about for the lost person who's going astray. I'm talking to the believer who's given their life to Jesus, said I do to the Lord like a marriage. And in a marriage, you're not going to wander and still live like you're single. You know, dating all kinds of people and forgetting to come home. I'm talking about it in the way it's supposed to be. All right? And so there's a path you can take. We, we can take uh, where we're choosing to live still for ourselves. Now, God's not going to let us do that. You understand that? And so we'll keep button heads with the Lord. You're not going to win. You know, the Lord told Saul of Tarsus before when he was saving him, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. What well, is? It is hard. I'm glad that he puts the pricks there. I'm glad that he goads us. I'm glad that he's like those cattle prods. You know, Randy, you know, like a big dummy. You know, you're getting out of the way and he, he prods you and gets you back where you need to be. But uh, we're not to live the rest of our lives fulfilling our fleshly desires. Those are not all sinful desires. So I want to talk about that just for a moment. But we're to live the rest of our time on this earth from whatever you said I do to Jesus and He meant it. He meant it too. Okay? And He saved you. And your life belongs to Him. Maybe that person you're dating is not the one He wants you to continue to date. For His sake. Maybe you don't even see it, but He sees it. Maybe the friends that you have, He's got to separate you from them. Maybe the career path you're on is not the one that He has for you. It might all be different, but surrender, okay? I'm not saying sit at home and do nothing. I'm saying pray and be led by the Holy Ghost. Our Good Shepherd, His sheep hear His voice, and He leads us. And whatever He says, say yes. I don't like it. I don't understand it. It's confusing. I've never done this before. I, I, it's not for me to speak publicly. I'm not good at that. Whatever it may be, 
Whatever He tells you and leads you to do, He will be sufficient for that. It's going to be blessed. It's going to be wonderful. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's going to be wonderful. Just keep yielding. Yield means yield. You know, get on the interstate, you got the yield sign. Nobody knows what that means anymore. When they're driving, they're not about to yield. They want you to get over and they want to cram in. But, but, the, but yielding in the biblical terms, wherever God is prompting, leading, if His Word says it, even if you don't feel the Holy Ghost on you when you're reading a specific Scripture, if His Word His word's already anointed, okay? If He's leading you by His Word, if He's leading you by his, a still small voice, He's going to lead you by those two ways, okay? And yield. Just yes, God, yes, yes. I'm not saying stand up here as though I'm perfected in this. I'm standing up here knowing what I'm talking about because this is what God's Word says and this is what we should do. And so there's this path we come to. And let me tell you about these lusts where He says in verse uh, to that, that he, that's the believer, should no longer live the rest of his time as a Christian in the natural body to the lust of men. That's just the lusts that are common to all men, all created men, lost and saved. We have appetites, right? A lust is just like an appetite that's going haywire. It's an appetite that's not controlled by, uh, not under, uh, it's lawless. Okay, it's not under the control of the way that God has intended for it to be. Overeating. Well, certainly God put in every one of us an appetite to eat food. It's to fulfill a very righteous, natural, God-given need that we have. Sleep. Eating. Okay? You could go on companionship. You could go on and on. The, the desire for these things is not wrong. It's, but a lust is, from the, and this, this lust came in with the fall of man. Okay, when sin came in. Then all of a sudden you have natural, healthy, God-given appetites that are now being, uh, instead of under some kind of law or restraint of God and serving their proper place within our lives, they're where we actually become slaves to them. And we're seeking to gratify our fleshly desires above all. Above all obedience to the Lord. Above being righteous or obeying God's Word. Uh, in illegal ways and immoral ways and ungodly ways. Uh, we're just living to satisfy or gratify our fleshly desires. Remember, the desire itself can be innocent, but it's no longer innocent after the fall because it's not under the subjection of God's ordinances and law and His Spirit and the restraint that He intends for us to have. And so they're not all wicked, but it's, it's out of whack. Big time. And we literally, instead of those things being under subjection, picture Christ. The Bible says He was in, he was in a natural body like we are. So I always go to this example. When He was baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit descended upon Him, and He's immediately, it says, the Spirit drove Him or led Him into the wilderness. So He goes in the wilderness. And he's there 40 days and 40 nights by himself. Him and his father. No people. And so he fasts 40 days and nights. And it says afterward he was hungry. Why? Because he had a physical body just like ours. And he fasted 40 days and nights. And afterwards he was hungry. Satisfying that desire would not be a sin. Satisfying that desire in a way other than what God prescribed for him at that moment would have been a sin. So the devil comes and tempts him and says, you know, if you're the Son of Man, turn these stones to bread. And Jesus was not ready to do that because he had not heard that instruction or command from his Father. Okay? He's like, I'm certainly not going to obey Satan when he tells me to do it. I'm not going to do tricks for the devil and jump through these hoops, being these stones of bread uh, to prove that I'm a son of God, the Son of God. He knew He was the Son of God. Satan knew He was the Son of God. The Father knew He was the Son of God. And so, that's just an example. And afterwards, after these three temptations of Satan that, that Jesus victoriously you know, walked through with the Word of God and by faith, when it was over, the angels came and ministered to Him. It, probably, it doesn't tell us this, but maybe they brought Him food and water. And they comfort him. They, they strengthen him somehow. 
But the point is that they came and ministered to him. So whatever needs he had were fulfilled by the hand of his father, not through, I'm hungry. So, you know, Esau with the, the, the bowl of pottage, the soup, that was ungodly. He despised his birthright. He despised what should have been important and eternal and of spiritual value. Ah, that's nothing to me. I just want a bowl of soup. I'm about to die. He wasn't going to die. If he'd have turned to God, he would have been provided for. But I don't think he was literally going to die. He'd be like us saying, I'm starving to death. And you're on a diet. You're trying to lose weight. But you come home and you're hungry. So you just run. Through. The first thing you see, oh, it's a box of dozen donuts left over from Sunday. I'll eat all those. Okay? And you're so disappointed in yourself afterwards because you said, I'm trying to eat healthy. You know? And, uh, but it's just the, those lusts are desires that have gone haywire. They're, they're not under the authority. So we understand that. And we also see that, again, that we can become slaves to those. Men can become slaves to those. Christians, if we don't watch it, can become, become in some type of bondage to a sinful thing. That it was started out as a God-given appetite. You fill in the blank for what it is. And you or I are fulfilling that in direct contradiction to God's laws and commands and what He's called us to do. Or we're spending all our time trying to satisfy ourselves and desires. We ought to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us. All the things that we have need of. And then God doesn't just give us what we need. He gives us so many pleasurable things and wonderful things. But it come, He wants us to come in His order. Okay, not lawless but under control, temperate, self-control, okay? God-controlled, controlled by the Spirit. That's a wonderful thing. It's a, it's a wonderful way to walk, walk that way in the times when we do. Look at one Scripture real quick, and we'll go back to First Peter, but look at Ephesians. We all know the passage, Ephesians chapter 2. I'll read it real quickly, starting in verse, for time's sake, we'll pick up in, in verse 3. Ephesians 2, 3. Talking about the one that was lost, now we're saved, okay? Among whom also, we also had our conversation, our lifestyle in times past. What was our lifestyle in times past? Doesn't mean we were demon-possessed. Doesn't mean we were the uh, somebody who should have been in Angola. Maybe we should have been, I don't know. But it says here, in times past, our conversation was fulfilled in the, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. That's a sinful nature, even as others. It's because of the fall. It's because of that nature of Adam. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, or given us life, together with Christ, by grace, you are saved. And so, if we want to know that real uh, victory, and this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of the time. It's going to come uh, from the Lord. There is a victory over this. And this is something we could preach on for weeks and weeks, but just for tonight, understanding that, that there is a real liberty from that. If, you're, if you or I have some uh, desires that have gone beyond what God has intended for them to be, and they crossed over into their, their sin, and it's no longer that I've got it under control or even the Holy Spirit in me has it under control. This thing has gotten a control over me. And it's not, it doesn't mean you're not saved, okay? It means that that needs to be dealt with, dealt with and there's a victory over that. This I say then, Paul says in Galatians, walk, ye in, the, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so it is possible to do that. And we turn to the Lord. Now, I'll say this, uh, and I'm going along with, with this lesson here. I do not believe in sinless perfection as a doctrine. I don't believe that's taught in the Bible. You know what I mean by that? That once a person is born again from that moment that they are perfected and in their lifestyle and in the rest of their days on earth, they'll never sin again. I don't believe that. There's too many scriptures that say, Beloved, I, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But if you do, there's a, you have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, right? The righteous. And so uh, all through the Bible that we're taught is still possible. And here's the, here's the, the, the point. 
that when we give our life to Christ, that nature of Adam or that fleshly nature is not totally eradicated. It's not just that moment totally put out and we're put in some kind of spiritual bubble that nothing, no temptation ever tempts me anymore. You, do you know by experience that that's not true? You get, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Well, I get angry and I sin. So obviously, that's not true. I'm not in some spiritual cocoon just floating through life, you know, bouncing off the of walls, and here comes a temptation, and it has no effect. It's, in other words, it's not impossible for that thing to affect me. It is possible for it to because I still have that, that sinful nature still present. This is why we're to grow in Christ and, and we're being moved from glory to glory and it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that we uh, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and no, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Why would we have scriptures like, like that if we were already perfected in our very behavior and nature? The sin comes knocking at Alberto's door. Maybe he is dead to something because he's walking so closely to the Lord. But maybe something else comes along and he's not totally dead to it. Maybe he's 90% dead to it. You know what I'm saying? But it still has some kind of little appeal to him. And that's why uh, there's a daily dying to ourselves. That's a daily taking up our cross. That cross will bring death to that. Okay? But... I can't live on yesterday's or last month's or last year's. Uh, you know, that's everything is about the here and now in the sense of I need you to na- now, Jesus. I need you to help me now. Why would there be a scripture in the Bible that says, uh, for there had no temptation taken you, but such is common a man. He's writing to the church at Corinth, to believers and spirit-filled believers on top of that. But such that is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. That's the promise. The promise is not that all temptation will lose its appeal instantly when you're saved. I believe we can come to that point. I really do. But I don't believe the promise is made in the Scriptures that instantly when we're born again, we're dead to any attraction at all to sin. But we are promised victory over it, no matter how intense it may be, no matter how much I might really like that, no matter how much uh, I want that, uh, there is victory, absolutely. That I can say for sure. The, the victory that Jesus won on the cross was complete and full. He didn't shortchange us and leave us halfway saved, halfway victorious over sin and temptation when it comes to us, halfway victorious over the devil, or 90%. Every temptation that comes, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation, that means with it, that means it's coming. There will be a temptation in your life today, tomorrow, in your life. Will with the temptation also make the way of escape that you may, may be able to bear it, that I might be able to bear it. You can never say, well, God, you just put me in such a tempting situation. You know I'm weak here and it's your fault. You put me in this tempting situation and I fell and it's really your fault. No, it's not. That's a lie. He made a way of escape and you didn't look for it or I didn't look for it. And that's why the Bible says very clearly, flee temptation, flee idolatry. Did you? Did you flee it when it came your way? Did I flee it when it came my way? You know, abstain from appearance of evil. Flee from idolatry. Flee from temptation. Resist the devil. Did you do it? Did you do it by faith? Did you do it through the armor of God and with the, through the blood of Jesus? You understand what I'm saying? There's a, uh, the victory is complete. Temptation is still temptation. But the temptation is not greater than the provision of the Lord or His grace or His victory over that temptation. Don't ever think that, it, that God's victory is not complete. That His strength in your moment of temptation just wasn't quite enough. It is. He is. Amen. He is enough. A lot of times we don't call upon Him. Amen? The way we should. Um, and it's a glorious contrast, I guess you would say, between me fulfilling the lust of my flesh as a believer and fulfilling the will of God. What a difference, amen? What a difference. He loves me both ways. You know, He loved me when I was yet a sinner. All right, we understand. I'm not talking about the love of God. I'm talking about the difference in your life. 
How it glorifies God. How it honors God. How you are satisfied. He satisfies the longing soul. So if I'm choosing to satisfy the will, the lust of my flesh as a believer, or choosing to do the will of God, that's the divergent path I was talking about. Saved. We're talking about a saved person. And little paths like daily choices we make, and plus the long haul, the whole long journey till we we see the Lord face to face. However you want to look at it, there's paths. We there's two different paths we can take. There's not a million. There's two. There's the will of God, or there's me satisfying what I want. That's the two paths. And how blessed it is, and what a difference it is, for God's sake and for His glory, but for your sake and for my sake. The best, safest place to be in the whole world is the will of God. So I'm going to spend my time striving to. I don't always, but I know that's the right thing to do. And I'm asking God continually in prayer, help me to yield to what you want. I don't see it, but I know it's by faith it's better. Sometimes I do see it, and I know it's better. But we just have to know by faith. The Bible says by faith, uh, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather. So he made a choice, right? Already belonged to God, knew God. You know, Moses in the wilderness on the mountaintop with God, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's the divergent path. That's it, right? And uh, he had respect unto the recompense of the reward that God was going to give. He saw it was more valuable to him than the pleasures of sin for a season. That's where the faith comes in. It's not enough for you to tell me it, or me to tell you. We have to know that by faith or we'll make the wrong choice. If that, that choice is not real enough to us in Christ Himself, Christ is worth it. He's over here. He's not over there. This is the way He's leading me. And we need to know that by faith. He needs to be real enough and the rewards that He gives and the blessings of God need to be real enough to us that that's the choice we're going to make. That's going to come as we see the Lord and walk with the Lord. Amen? As we spend time with Him, all that's going to become more real to us. What if a man makes the right choice because he kind of weighs it out like Moses? What if he even makes the right choice? No, I'm a believer. I want to go with God. I don't want to gratify the lust of my flesh in some illegal way. You understand what I'm saying? Illegal in God's way. Out of God's way. I want to choose what's right. But what if I choose what's right and still don't have the power? You know, I can choose what's right. We need the power still to walk it out, right? I made the right choice, but I fell right on my face. I found myself over here. The power comes from the Lord. We have to go back to the cross. This is not just a little uh, theory or, or, or something like that. There's a reality in Christ's death that when we come to Jesus by faith, again, when we first are given our life to the Lord, we don't maybe fully understand all that. You couldn't sit there and teach it all. You just know that you're saved and your sins are forgiven, right? You've got the gift of eternal life and you're thankful. But He wants us to go on from there. So we start studying Romans chapter 6 and he says, Likewise, reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed to sin and alive unto God through Christ. He's, he's using that likewise in, in, in his talk about the cross, that Jesus' death, count it as your death. When God, there's something in God's estimation of your new saved life, when you gave your life to the Lord, God sees it as, all right, Clarissa came and she gave her life to Jesus. Clarissa may not see it all and couldn't write a book uh, on it. Maybe now she could, but at that time. The Lord says, okay, she's given her life to Christ, my son, and approaching me through my, my son Jesus. She, the Lord reckons that as being, you're dead. You see what I'm saying? In other words, Christ's death and the cross being for you. So we need to be taught the Word of God and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Ghost is our teacher who leads us into all truth. And we need to be constantly reminded of these things because there's a reality. It's not just, oh, think about it. Reckon, reckon it so means to count on it as being so. So all of a sudden I'm going through life and I'm tempted. I'm a believer. It's not that I'm getting lost, saved, lost, saved. I'm saved. 
and the devil comes and tempts me and dangles something that I really like and I really want, and it's sin. And I need to, at that moment, by faith, flee it. You know, however you want to, uh, you need to obey God. But my point is, I need to reckon that by faith. I need to really, at this moment, count on it. That yes, there's an appeal to my flesh, but Christ's death, I'm identifying with Christ's death on the cross and with His resurrection life. If we don't identify with Him by faith in His death, we're not partakers of the resurrection life either. They go together. So in salvation, we need to understand the power is going to come from the Lord. But by faith, there's a real reckoning on it that, no, I know there's some appeal to my flesh, but there's something greater than my flesh. Christ died to that. He suffered once in the flesh for sin, and I've come to Him by faith. His death, He's reckoning me that, that to be my death. He's counting on it being so. Okay, That's the only way that I can have, share His resurrection life. So when that temptation's coming, we need to lean hard upon that by faith and understand that. And so it's not enough just to make the choice, although we do choose to follow Christ and not the sinful things. We do have to do that. But then the power to do it has to be from the Lord. From the, by faith, we walk in it. Okay, Again, so God reckons it as being so. I'm going to read uh, some notes. I taught on 1 Peter years and years ago, and I pulled out some notes and I was looking at them. Christ suffered and died for sins, the sins of the world. Never for punishment for His own sins, but for the sins of the world. Okay, When He died in the flesh on the cross, He breathed His last and said, it's finished. He was through with sin. Not that He ever committed sin, but even bearing it. Any relationship with sin. You know what I mean? He was through with it. He was dead to sin. And if we are crucified with Christ, and that is by the new birth, I don't go and say, crucify me, you know, crucify me necessarily. That happens by faith when we give our lives to Jesus. Okay? Uh, then we are to reckon it as being so. That, that He has ceased from sin. And as I said at the beginning, that means gotten a release from sin. Sin does not is not to be your master. Amen. It says that in Romans 6 as well. Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal bodies. That means I could or I could not. And again, he's speaking to Christians. I could let sin, even as a believer, reign to some extent. I don't think my whole life, okay? But at any given moment, I could let sin reign in my mortal body. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Okay? You're, we're, we're dead to those. He keeps saying it, dead to that. What does He mean? Again, we're reckoning it so. We're counting on it as being so that I've gotten a release from it. But I still have a choice to make and I still have to walk it out day by day. And the Lord will help us to do that. The Bible says, for if we live after the flesh, you know the Scripture in Romans 8.13, we shall die. Believers, if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if we through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, we shall live. That means I am to do it, but how do I do it if we through the Spirit? I would never just put it upon you or you put it upon me or some believer that's really saved and say, just go in your own strength and you'll fight the temptations and fight the devil. They'll fall, we would fall flat on our face. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. It's always interesting to me how there's things that only God can do. Like win a victory over sin or the devil. We can't do that. But yet He tells us to do it. In other words, I couldn't speak in another tongue if the Holy Ghost didn't give me utterance. But if the Holy Ghost gives me utterance, then I'm told, you, Randy, speak in another tongue. In other words, I've got to cooperate with the Lord. It's the Lord's power. It's the Lord's working. I didn't invent it. I couldn't invent it. But He tells me to do it. Open up your mouth and sing in another tongue or pray in another tongue or speak in another tongue. I have to cooperate with the Lord. Save for resistant temptation or anything. It's God's power. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit we mortify 
the deeds of the body. But he still tells me, you mortify the deeds of the body. Appropriate what I've given you. Take what I've given you and use it. Don't let it lie dormant and say, oh, I couldn't resist and I fell into temptation. You could have resisted and I could have resisted. I did not appropriate or the Holy Ghost in me you know, to, to, to by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in victory over that temptation. So you all understand that. I'm not saying you go do it. I'm saying you go do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't invent it. Just what He tells you in His Word. Okay? Just what He tells us in His Word. So, um, we'll keep moving on. We're going to uh, try to bring this to a, to a close. But y'all turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's read verse, verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Again, he's speaking of believers. Because we thus judge that if one died, that's Jesus for all, then we're all dead. This is the reckoning. See, it, it is. His death is not just, oh, I have eternal life. For me to have eternal life, I need to judge that Christ died. I'm in Christ now. So in a sense, I died. I died to sin. Okay? It, it's important. We, we, thus we, we judge that then all were dead. We're all dead. And that He died for all, that they which live in Christ should not henceforth live unto themselves. The two paths, right? That we're talking about tonight. Should not henceforth live unto themselves from now on, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. That is the choice. That is the choice. And that is uh, the calling of God upon our lives. We're strengthened day by day, y'all. I'm just encouraging you that it, it seems overwhelming because you know how strong temptations can be in your life. And you know how often you've fallen into temptations and how often I've fallen into temptations. But there ought to be some real progress in our lives. Amen? Maybe there's one particular thing you really struggle with. But, but, and God will help you with that. But overall, we ought to be taking higher ground morally and spiritually. And the things that we used to trip us up every single time ought not still be tripping us up every single time. I'm just talking about gaining some ground and progressing in the Lord. We're going to find that, that God is faithful. A couple of quotes I want to read from this F.B. Meyer book. I thought were really good. When strong desires come through our bodies and strive to send evil thoughts and passions through the heart and will, they will find a fireproof door slammed suddenly in their face. And that's me by choice. Slam it. Here comes the temptation. If I entertain that thought and let it go five more seconds, I'm going to be in trouble. You understand what I'm talking about? The temptation's coming. Don't sit there and play with it and toy with it. It's like a snake and it's going to get you. And you'll get on the other side, you'll be waking up like you've just been beat up and said, what in the world just happened? Well, what just happened is I didn't shut the door on that thing by faith and stand in the strength of Christ and His power and His Spirit. That's what happened. Because every single time, 100% of the time that we do, stand in Christ's might and do what He tells us in His Word, whether it's flee, slam the door, abstain from, resist, Every time we'll find the victory. Satan's going to tell you it's not going to work every time. And God's saying, oh yes, all the promises in me are yea and amen. It's going to work every time. Every time. We ought to take heart in that. Amen? He goes on to say, the flesh may have its desires, but the cleansed heart, okay, that's the believer, will refuse to yield to them, and thus the flesh will be crucified and mortified with its affections and lust. Okay? Uh, the power of refusing, he talks about. It's the power of God. And by His grace, and we abstain from these things, and we deliberately choose Christ. His death, His resurrection life. I choose it every time. Not my life fulfilling what I want. Death to that self. Daily dying. Daily taking up our cross. Choosing death. Deliberately, deliberately refusing those things because there's a much greater thing I have in Jesus. Just Jesus by Himself is greater. Amen? But also the things that He has for our lives are greater than that, the satisfaction that would come momentarily through me indulging in that sin. We understand that. He goes on to say, you will find 
that though the flesh still lives, that's what we talked about, it's still present, it will no longer govern you. But the Spirit of God will govern you. you. That's all we're talking about. It's still present, but I'm not yielded to it. I'm not part of that. The Bible tells me in Colossians that when we're saved, we're delivered from the kingdom of darkness and Satan and translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. It's two different kingdoms. They don't overlap. It's not like two circles and we've got a little common ground here. There, he delivered us or translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His dear Son. I belong to this kingdom. And that's the way God wants us to live. What's going to govern me? Well, the king of this kingdom is going to govern me. Not the king of that kingdom any longer. Before, the king of this kingdom did govern me and I didn't even know it. But I'm very conscious and aware that this king is my king. That's a choice I made. Amen? And I want to, every day, I want to, I want to yield to that. Arm yourselves with this. And so I'm going to just bring this to a close. Uh, Matthew Henry says, let, let occasional temptations be what they will. They're going to come, he's saying. They could not uh, prevail in our lives were it not for men's own corruptions. They couldn't prevail in my life if I was really. Uh, at that moment, just yielded to the Lord, trusting in God. They could not prevail, and they will not prevail if not. And, and, uh, and though there will be no cessation in the temptation, there will be cessation in the yielding to temptation. Are you hearing that? The, the temptations are not going to cease as long as we're in this physical body. We're subject to those like passions. But the yielding to temptation can and will cease. That's as I'm strengthened in Christ. It's His might. It's His power. It's the Lord's working in me. It's me dying to myself and starving out that old man. Every time you feed that old lust, it's going to grow. It's going to gain ground. It's a very simple truth, but a very powerful truth. The more you say no to the temptation, the easier... Have you found that? If you're on a diet, like I said, if you're on... Or getting up to go exercise and you don't want to early in the morning. Uh, staying away from old friends that drag you down. A TV show that's not of God that the Lord's dealt with you about. The more you give into it, the more you will give into it. The more you say no to it, the more it, the easier it will become to say no to it. And it's relying on God's strength. I, I believe that's very uh, biblical. Okay, In time, the bodily desires will give less and less trouble, he says. And so I'm going to close just tonight's message. And William, you can come if you want. I'm going to close tonight's message. We just covered these two verses in, in 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. But I'm going to read a paragraph from this book because he says it better. Uh, I think it just summarizes it. So if you would listen, this is how I'm going to close tonight. Wouldest thou then have much power against sin? In other words, do you want much power against sin in your own life? and much increase of holiness? We would all say yes, right? We want that. Let thine eye be much on Christ. Set thine heart on Him. Let it dwell, your heart dwell in Him and be still with Him. Just let God be God. Sit there and think about Jesus. Meditate on Him. He's greater than whatever that temptation is. You want to be more in holiness? You want to be greater in temptation against temptation and resisting them? Set your heart and your mind upon the Lord. Be still with Him. Spend time with Him. When sin, when sin is likely to prevail, go to Him. Tell Him of your inability to resist. God, this is, this is greater than me. It's not greater than you. Tell Him of your inability to resist and desire Him to su suppress the longings for that thing. In other words, ask Him. God, You suppressed this in me. I know it's not holy. I know it's not healthy. I'm asking You. You're aware of what I'm going through. I'm asking You to decrease this. That You would quench the ungodly passion or whatever it may be. If your heart begins to move towards sin, lay it before God. Wouldst thou have thy pride and passions and love of the world killed? Go to the virtue of His death. And that shall do it. Seek His Spirit, the Spirit of meekness, humility, and divine love. Look on Him, and He shall draw thy heart heavenwards and unite it to Himself and make it like Himself 
And is not that the thing that you desire? Amen. That's exactly what I desire. I'm not perfected. I don't talk to you as though I'm perfected. I'm talking to you about a perfect God, though, that can help all of us and strengthen us through it. I'm not belittling your temptations. I want us to make much of God. He is 100% effective every time you're tempted if we'll go to Him. Let's, let's worship the Lord tonight. Stand if you will. Find your place to, to meet with the Lord. I do believe there's a very definite message tonight for us. I do believe there's a very definite call. And the call is always, the Lord's always, when He calls, going to expect a response from us. It's not enough that we sit there and say, that sure was a good message. He, is, he has spoken to us tonight and He is prompting and desiring a response from your heart to lay down before the Lord and say, God, this is me. This is me. I stand in need tonight. This message is for me. I'm yielding. I understand what you're saying through your Word. But I need to be empowered to do it and to yield to the Lord and, and come before the Lord knowing that that thing's been dealt with. It might not be all perfected tonight in one night, but you can sure yield to the Word of God that He has spoken to us tonight. You, can, you and I can sure acknowledge, this is me. I'm that Christian that faces these two paths constantly, and I find myself far too often giving in to satisfy the desires of the flesh in some sinful way instead of choosing the will of God. And I don't want to. And I don't want to want to. And so, Lord, this is me. I'm the one that stands in need of strength and power and faith in every given moment to resist the devil and the temptations that come my way. I've failed too many times to count, but I don't want to continue to fail too many times to count. I want to make progress in this. I want to walk in this victory that you have given. I want by the power of the Holy Ghost to mortify the deeds of my body by your power. This is our response to the Lord tonight. Would you call upon Him would you ask Him? Would you mean business with God tonight? Would you be serious about the Lord? This isn't some vague altar call tonight. This is very clear and definite. That God has called us to be holy. In 1 Peter, we study in the first chapter, as He which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. It's our lifestyle. And God, we need You, Father. I need You. Would you call upon Jesus and trust Him to help you tonight in Jesus' name?